Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Hi, welcome to the class on Romans, and today we'll do chapter 10. Hopefully when we get to uh, through chapter 11, then we can at the end of that lecture, we'll do a summary. And so I'm, I'm hitting the high points, and of course the flow of the argument is a, a singular argument here. He's, he's talking about Israel and the role of Israel in salvation, and 10 is this key part of this, that the comparison here in chapter 10 between the righteousness that the Jews were attempting to establish on their, on their own and the mistake of the Jews and what they failed to understand in Christ one way that it has been laid out is the difference, you know, that their mistake may be in the order that they picture it more like a contract that they, rather than a relationship, they're thinking of, you know, a personal relationship in which it's a real world change in which you develop an, a trust in the other, that they're thinking more of a contract in which it's really based on lack of trust that you don't acknowledge or uh, fully you know, there's not an entry of, of mutuality in a contract, that the thing that you share is outside of the relationship. And that's the picture here of the problem with the law, that it's it's distant, it's outside, it doesn't affect a change. And so a contract is not meant to change you, but a covenant was. It was meant to bring about an ethical difference and not simply, you know, I think this is what we often get in a misconstrued Christianity as we picture it like a intellectual ascent of belief and propositions, a stacking up of doctrines. Not to leave out the propositional, we make the Jewish mistake when we focus simply on assenting to doctrines. Well, uh, many people may assent to those doctrines, but that's not the point of Christianity. The angels in hell believe and tremble. And so this is not a legal deal. And righteousness is not concerned with the law. I mean, that's the the huge kind of ironic error that many have made. They've pictured righteousness as in some way either a failure of work. No, the, the failure is a misunderstanding of righteousness. And those, and this is the point of the new perspective on Paul, is the Jewish mistake. Not in the sense that Martin Luther pictured it, but in the sense that the, the Jewish mistake is the human mistake. And so you, you enter into this whole idea of a, of a covenant. First of all, a covenant is its future. It's a change up in, in the very nature of who you are. That's a good illustration. And I think it does get at the, the, the point here. Paul begins the chapter, you know, talking about the zeal of the Jews and of course, he's talking about himself here, and that's what he says, I, that he knows this zeal, that he was persecuting Christians because of this zeal, and that it is a misplaced zeal. It's a, a knowledge that would establish their own righteousness. That you know, I, I, Again, I think we can relate this to the attempt that our goal is not in some way to establish the church or to make the church. God does that in Christ. If you think of it in John, an alternative translation or, or other understanding of Jesus says that, you know, the zeal of your temple consumes me, talking about the death of Christ. If you go back and look at that in the psalm, 
what that psalm is actually talking about is the enemies of the Messiah kill him because of their misdirected zeal for the law. And of course, that's the in the trial of Jesus, that's why he's killed. So it may not be the zeal of Jesus that kills him or that's consuming. I think it's the zeal of a misdirected, misplaced belief on the part of the Jews. And so the thing that they misunderstand, and this is Paul's argument, is they do not know how Christ is the goal. And of course, the word is telos here, and how we translate telos, I think, is goal, that it's the end of the law. Other places, it may be that uh, we would seek the, the law comes to the end of the law, but the word end there doesn't mean, uh, I mean, the Jews, the Jewish witness is still there, and that's part of Paul's argument. The goal, the pointer, the thing that the Jews or Israel itself is doing is to point to Christ. Israel, as long as they cling to, to salvation through their ethnic status, and imagine that their ethnic status is the basis of their covenant, uh, you know, that that is, they mistake that for the covenant itself, for the covenant relationship. I think that's what Paul's talking about, that they're est- attempting to establish their own righteousness. And until they abandon that project, you know, this is the great irony of misconstrued zealots even today, or evangelicals who are the primary promoters of the nation of Israel today. There are more evangelical Christians giving support to the state of Israel than there are Jews, well, partly because there are just more of them in the United States, but it's uh, it's an overwhelming number of evangelical Christians. I believe that because of a misunderstanding of the role of Israel, the very misunderstanding we're describing here, that they are adding fuel to the fire in the uh, war in the Middle East. And so not only the Jews, but maybe Christians need to recognize it's not the ethnic status, it's not Jewishness, it's not Israel per se, that has some end point in itself. No, that purpose comes to its end. It comes to its conclusion in Christ. It was always intended then to culminate in the purpose and work of the Messiah. Ironically, many Jews recognize that's the role of the Messiah. They just don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. That would be my reading here of the problem. And of course, the psychological element of this, I think, is still present. Paul has already made that argument. You know, in chapter 3 and chapter 7, I think this is a nice contrast to the argument he's made. We might picture 3, he's describing the role in part of the law, but he's also making an argument that this empty speech, this incapacity, You know, the verses there are not just a reference to Jews, that maybe we could just say that's the way that the human condition works. But the idea, their their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit because they've entered into a lie. Well, if we think that is, you know, reference back to uh, Genesis, that's the universal predicament, that Israel then is a special instance of bringing that out that we see that Israel is a type or case in point of the human condition. David, in the very psalm that Paul references there, talks about an alternative kind of speech, a full speech, that in fact is reflected here in the Deuteronomy passage, that it's in you, that you know, Paul uses a different illustration in Corinthians when he's describing this, 
you can think about the two instances in chapter 13 when he's talking about love. He describes there the use of the mirror, that it, there is the sense that we live in a kind of things are in a mirror for us and that the things of this world, and he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, knowledge, wisdom, you know, tongues, that these things are not an end in themselves. The Christian mistake the Christians in Corinth are making and that Christians make today is the Jewish mistake, maybe it's this, just the human mistake, to take these temporary, partial things that were signs and take the sign for the signified itself, to take the sign, the law, if you think of it in terms of human psychology, we imagine ourselves, our own inward condition, or our, the image in the mirror is what Paul is talking about as an end in itself. Paul also uses an illustration in chapter 3 of Second Corinthians. He uses the mirror again, and that use of the mirror seems to pick up here with the, the idea that he has here that the law or the word is within you that there in chapter 3, I think it's verse 18, he describes then that the face of the Christian, you know, is compares it to the face of Moses reflecting the glory of God when he had been on Mount Sinai and that he put a veil. It seems kind of a deception because Moses is, is in fact hiding the, the fact that the law, the glory of the law and the glory that uh, he's radiating is fading. It's temporary. It's going to be undone. And Paul compares the glory that we have in Christ as an unfading glory. Maybe the veil then is playing the role of making clear what the nature of the Jewish mistake is. It's to take the sign, the temporary, the partial, the law as a kind of end in itself. And there is an incapacity then to do what Moses said. The man who does these things will live by them. That's precisely what they're incapable of doing. There's an incapacity that the law shows forth. For Christ is the end of law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So what was the purpose of the law? To make right here, to bring about right relationship. And again, think here of a Hebraic notion, not a Greek notion of legal right, but relational right that were made right with God, and that's the difference between covenant and contract. And so really it's not a question about abolishing the law other than ab abolishing it, its hold, its effect, its punishing effect upon us. The law will continue to lead to Christ, to witness to Christ, in a sense that human fallenness and the nature of that fallenness, part of what is happening in the, the Bible, I think, not just the Old Testament, is that here is a picture of the human problem. Here is a picture of the human predicament. The Deuteronomy passage is, is very interesting, and you know you could read a lot into that. Certainly, it must refer to the incarnation. You don't want to go to heaven to, to get it. You don't want to go to the deep. You know, what is the abyss here? Some think it's Hades. And of course, that may be describing our distance from the truth, or our desire outside of Christ that we imagine in some way there is a departure from this world or that we're going to attain this thing only through effort. You know, this is, uh, in a sense, this is the Calvinist argument. And a little bit, you could put that in here. I don't, I don't mean that the Calvinist gets it right. But I think in our failure, in our misunderstanding, of the purpose of the law, it may be that we have this desire 
to pull it down from the heavens or bring it up from the deep, that in, in some way the truth then evades us. And, of course, Moses' point in Deuteronomy is that it is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. It's already there. It's just that you can't, it's not penetrating. And Paul then uses one of his favorite passages here. I think it's a reference to Isaiah 28. At least it, he often, he began the, the book on I am not ashamed. And uh, his use of this passage, I think, is thematic. That is, that what brings about shame, what, and, and if you think of shame as the real human predicament, the hu- real human problem, that in that Isaiah passage, that people's trust has been put in their own religion, uh, whether it's the Jewish religion, it's not clear even in the Isaiah passage. Clearly, the Jews are there involved in idolatrous, you know, in chapter 8 especially of Isaiah. It's not clear that that's the case in, in Isaiah 28. In fact, Isaiah 28, do and do law upon law. It may be a reference to the Jewish attitude to the law. That's one interpretation of it. But the point is that their trust in, in whatever it is they're trusting in, it's going to result in their shame. That instead of making a covenant with God, they've made a covenant with death in the writer of Isaiah's picture. And it's precisely there at that end of the passage that the writer of Isaiah says that those who trust in him, and it's the messianic passage about the Christ is the chief cornerstone, that those who put their trust in him will not be put to shame. I think that's the, the reference. There, there could be others, but that's one of Paul's favorite passages. And so God himself is fulfilling Moses' words in Christ. There's a new way of doing the law. The law is in your mouth, in your heart. That is, for it to be in us, as in the picture of the glory of Christ, that the image there is in the face of the Christian, that it's no longer outside of us, and that's part of the predicament, is that what is outside of us does not penetrate the heart, and it's the law written on the heart that, you know, that's the picture in Isaiah, and that's the fulfillment in Christ. And so a way which will come from God himself in the form of his word. And, of course, his word here is not an impersonal word written upon stones. It's not an object in that sense. In fact, in the Corinthian passage, Paul talks about the scriptures kill. The word there is graphe, and how do you interpret that? Well, the most close translation, it could be letter, it could be word, but in fact it may just be saying scriptures kill. What he means by that is that the word, an empty word on stone, a word, you know, it, the object they're written on gets the objectified nature of that word, that it's a static sort of word. There's a stasis to it. Paul will do that in 1 Corinthians when he talks about the difference between Corinthian knowledge. There is a stasis that it is a, a noun form. And then when he begins to talk about the knowledge in Christ, uh, that it is a verb, it's a, a process. And even in Second Corinthians 3, he'll describe it from glory to glory. It's apparently an infinite process, an ongoing process. Now, we touched mainly on the beginning of the chapter, and his argument here is there is no bis- distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is one over all. And he's describing then, you know, from nine to 11, the role of Israel. He pictures this at the end of the chapter 
Their speech went out to all the earth and their utterances to the ends of the inhabited world. That's not an accomplished fact, but Paul is picturing that eschatological reality as an accomplished fact. But in some way, there will be the point, and that's his conclusion in chapter 11, that all then are delivered out of bondage to freedom, including Jews and Gentiles. The, the Jews, the purpose of the Jews, the role of the Jews is Paul's point here, but in the process, he's also then describing the difference between the word uh, that we have in Christ. All right, we will uh, conclude there and take up with uh, chapter 11 next time. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org. Thank you.